welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian Alfry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Tabraz Ibrahim, Associate Professor of Law at California Western School of Law and registered U.S. Patent Attorney. We will discuss his draft article, Intellectual Property Through a Non-Western Lens, The Case of Patents in Islamic Law. So welcome to the show, Tabraz. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, glad glad to have you on. Um, as you know, I've heard you present this paper or versions of this paper several times and have found it really fascinating. And it had never occurred to me to think about kind of patent law and how you might conceptualize patent law under a totally different legal system. So it was it's always been quite a uh, uh, intriguing project and one that I've been excited to see as it develops. Uh, similarly, yeah, I'm excited about it. I've been working on uh, drafts of this. So it's a work in progress. Um, it's a new and different perspective that hasn't been analyzed in legal scholarship, particularly here in the West. And it's also developing in other uh, regions in Muslim majority countries. So it's a new sort of issue as intellectual property itself is very new to the Islamic world. And I'm uh, deriving theories of intellectual property within Islamic law, or even though in practice there is in these various countries um, uh, presence of patents and other forms of intellectual property. Well, so to Brez, for listeners who may not be very familiar with modern Islamic law in what I understand to be its many different iterations, I, I wonder if you could talk generally about the structure of Islamic law, and specifically the relationship between what you refer to in the paper as Sharia and fiqh, um, and sort of how those two concepts interact with each other. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. And so for an introductory perspective, uh, this is a very different system, a religious system than, than we have in the West. And uh, the basis of this is that it's divine law, and it's the intersection of law and religion that I'm looking at here. And Islam, unlike um, other systems, uh, has uh, all-encompassing divine law, and it provides a really different lens into legal concepts than the way we think about it. And there's certain terminologies. So Sharia itself, which uh, one hears in the media, but uh, maybe in an incorrect light here in the U.S., but Sharia itself means the religious values and principles that guide Muslims, whereas fiqh uh, that you mentioned refers to the human understanding of Sharia. And this is important in this paper because there are no explicit sources or references to intellectual property in Sharia. However, what I and other scholars are doing is developing the thick of intellectual property, and in my case, specifically the thick of patents. And so it is trying to develop the human understanding of the divine and uh, through an implicit sort of mechanism. Uh, what's different and how Muslims and Muslim majority countries and countries where Sharia is dominant or all-encompassing compared to Western systems is that Islam is considered a holistic religion, and therefore it encompasses um, and provides for how humans should interact, including social relationships, 
institutions and legal frameworks. So in theory, uh, at least the way I look at it, and many others look at it, is perhaps it should also include a discussion of intellectual property as one type of legal framework. Uh, but there are not precise and per se rules and regulations of intellectual property. So therefore, we have to turn to thick and principles to construe and justify the human interpretation of intellectual property. So it's my understanding that there are many, many different countries that use exclusively or to a greater or lesser degree versions of Islamic law as the governing law of the country, but also that there are many different schools of Islamic jurisprudence. So, I mean, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the sort of variety of ways of thinking about law in the Islamic world and sort of like what, if any, are like the kind of most significant or salient differences between those different jurisprudential systems and how they might think about different kinds of principles and the relationship between Sharia and fiqh. So in Islam, there's different uh, viewpoints on the religion itself and for example, there's a split between Sunni Islam and Shia Islam. There's also another perspective that's often overlooked, which is Ibadi Islam. And so there's different uh, viewpoints on Islamic law depending on the branch one looks at. The majority is Sunni Muslims, uh, estimates anywhere from 80 to 85%. And Inside of Sunni Islam, there's also different madhabs, or effectively doctrinal schools. And those viewpoints differ on various principles. Uh, one specific one with respect to property is the degree of intangible property that's permissible. And how to look at the entire theory of intangible property, intellectual property. So, for example, the Hanafi school, one of those madhabs of the uh, uh, of Sunni Islam, historically and traditionally has required that property itself have physical possession, and that's starting to change in the Hanafi school. But the other madhabs, the other doctrinal schools, uh, do not require physical possession. So that's one example, and I look at mostly Sunni Islam, but there's different perspectives potentially in. Shia Islam, as well as in the body perspective, uh, which is prevalent in the country of Oman. Um, so taking a step back, one of the major uh, views and additions that I have here is that to recognize that there are differences, just as you indicated, between the various schools of jurisprudence. There's also differences in the degree of primacy of Sharia in a particular Muslim-majority country uh, from a constitutional perspective. So this was a really, I found, interesting aspect of, of your paper conceptually. And I was wondering if it would be possible, in your opinion, to analogize in any way uh, between the relationship between Sharia and fiqh 
to the relationship between like constitutional law and statutory law or constitutional law and interpretations maybe of constitutional law, just as a way of sort of like helping Western audiences better understand the relationship between these two principles in Islamic law. Is that like a fair comparison or even a helpful comparison? Well, I think there is not a very clear comparison between our Western perspective and Islamic law. And that is part of the paper is to bring in a new conversation and a new perspective. And that really stems from the Islamic perspective is that the Almighty uh, is the creator and owner of everything, and that humankind is given the power and the authority to utilize the provided resources. So fundamentally, the entire concept of property ownership, as well as invention in the Islamic legal sense, is completely different than the perspective in the West. And so it's very difficult, therefore, to make analogies to the Western perspective. Uh, One is, again, that uh, property rights are owned by uh, the divine, and that the notion of possession is a very temporary concept. Uh, In fact, it's the agency relationship that this paper focuses on, that is agency of humans and the temporary life that humans have on earth as the sort of theoretical foundation for deriving the theories of intellectual property and specifically patents. So it's it's difficult to uh, have that uh, analogy to Western perspectives uh, in this, but we can use notions to have the conversation from the West, such as notions that both exist in Islamic law and in the West, including notions of agency, uh, trusteeship, and then also from the civil law context, which also exists in Islamic law, usufructs, a uh, property concept. And so it's not the one-to-one um, analogy that there's some differences in this, the, the papers to get this um, new perspective presented and to let intellectual property scholars, specifically patent law scholars, have a new uh, perspective on how we should think about the theory of patents. Well, so do any of the Islamic law systems have or address the concept of intellectual property or things like a patent or maybe something analogous to patents? Or do they even have like a like a sort of concept of intangible property and how that might be dealt with in a Islamic property law context? So many Muslim majority countries currently have patents. There's been patents for a while. There's been reform to their patent laws. And uh, many of those inventors in Muslim majority countries have been very active. And then the Uh, Companies and universities that employ them have been active in patent activities. So that exists, but the uh, internalization of patents in their laws has come about by international treaties, and many of this uh, set of national patent laws in these countries are basically replicas of their West, of the West systems, but Uh, they haven't accounted for the theoretical justification. And so this debate on justifying it, uh, the notion of patents, is new from a scholarly standpoint. 
And so it has not been settled yet. And these uh, discussions and normative justifications are just happening right now. So what are the tensions then in Islamic law around recognizing intellectual property and again, patents specifically from a kind of theoretical perspective? I mean, where are the points of conflict that make it kind of potentially troublesome to treat patenting and maybe other forms of of intangible goods as as recognized and justified under kind of the Islamic jurisprudential system? Great question. I think this is the heart of the paper. And just a sort of a starting point as to why we have that is uh, that there's a lot of, and why this is of, of importance right now is that many Muslim majority countries are focusing on patents, particularly for economic development initiatives. So this conversation is just starting. And the tensions really deal with uh, property principles, specifically the fact that there is no mention of patents. Uh, there's no mention of intellectual property in the sources of Islamic law. So although uh, this doesn't exist, it, Islamic law is all-encompassing and therefore should dictate how societal relations are in these countries. And so one of the tensions is what does property itself mean and could it encompass intellectual property, which has been a debate in itself in the West? And then the second question is what is the degree of permissible intangibles? Uh, that has typically and historically not been recognized in Islamic systems. And then third, from the concept of ownership and possession, how should that be conceptually recognized in Islamic law for something that's intangible? So these are all tensions that come about. And fundamentally, this has to do with an overarching issue on potential monopolization effects. And in Islamic societies, uh, those governed to some degree by Sharia, there is a desire to have uh, balancing and socioeconomic equity. And one of the tensions is, does uh, potential monopolization effects uh, create problems and is it not permissible? Uh, so that's one of the uh, tensions. There's some other ones in, in the latter part of my research stream that I will hope to look into, which is how should, if uh, patents are theoretically and conceptually justified, how should they be administered from uh, an administrative context? And how should a patent office under the uh, principles of Islamic law be run? And what is... Uh, permissible and not permissible in terms of potentially um, revocation of patents. Well, so there was one concept that you mentioned in the paper uh, kind of stemming from kind of background, as I understood it to be sort of uh, like more Sharia type principles, which was this idea of a kind of a prohibition on the concealment of knowledge. And I could see how that would be like a difficult principle to reconcile with uh, you know patents and other forms of intellectual property. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that sort of value 
and how you think it could be squared or it is squared in Islamic jurisprudence with the production of intangible property rights. So concealment of knowledge has been raised by uh, Islamic law skeptics of intellectual property. So often their argument is that patents hide information. And this camp of uh, scholars often is against intellectual property rights. And this is part of the, the controversy and the debate among the scholarly community of whether or not intellectual property is permissible. But as it relates to patents, uh, some of them have failed to look at the benefits of patents, such as the teaching function itself. And what I argue in this paper is that that there has been viewpoints that have not been recognized, uh, particularly with regards to the benefits of intellectual property, and how they can be normatively justified within the Islamic law perspective. So one is that patents actually have some teaching function. Uh, others learn from patents, and there's studies that show that um, patents do allow industries to develop, and there is some benefit to that. Uh, there's also permissible profit and trade that exist in Islamic law. And patents as an asset that is created can permit greater profit and trade. And this can be justified within one of the secondary principles uh, of Islamic law, which is public interest. So those are two examples of how uh, to respond to the skeptics that argue against patents because they come from the viewpoint that patents conceal knowledge, but ignore some of the actual benefits of patents that can be justified within the Islamic law perspective. In your paper, you talk about the concept of the usufruct in Islamic law and how you think it might be useful as a way of providing a jurisprudential justification for the protection of certain forms of intellectual property, especially patents. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about sort of what exactly a usufruct is and why you think its sort of historical pedigree in Islamic law might be useful in, in this context. Sure. So um, one permissible way of reasoning in Islamic law is to use analogical reasoning. In other words, because there's no explicit mention of patents in Islamic law, one can use some sort of analogy to derive a justification. And in this paper, what I call a positive normative theory of patents. And so I use Yusufrux as an analogy. And at a high level, one can think of usufruct similar to what we have in our common law system as a life estate. It is a term that's used in our state system for something that has a limited duration and has limited rights. And the value in the usufruct is independent of the corpus of the property itself. And so this is utilized as an analogy in this paper to derive the theory of patents in Islamic law and justify it. Uh, so first, the way to look at this is that the invention in the patent is theoretically attributed to the divine, and that the human inventor of the patent 
is then the trustee of the divine. So if you think about those two principles, first, again, the invention and the patent is theoretically attributed to the divine. And then second, the human inventor of the patent is a trustee of the divine. So third, the usufruct is an intangible form that allows for the human to retain the value of the property right in the patent, in, independent of the patent itself. So there's these three principles that are utilized that provide that a human can be an inventor in the patent for the human's lifetime, even though in Islamic law, the divine is the absolute inventor and the absolute owner. So this is one way to conceptually justify patents uh, in the Islamic law framework. Tabrez, I mean, I have to say that as a copyright scholar, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the copyright patent relationship under Islamic law, which you do talk about briefly in in your paper. And you suggest that a lot of the objections to intellectual property from a jur- jurisprudential standpoint under Islamic law are really better directed at copyright than at patent. And I wonder if you could talk about that distinction uh, and why you think that Islamic law might look at them meaningfully differently in terms of their justification. So that's a very interesting question and a good observation. Uh, If one reads the scholarship on this new debate on whether intellectual property is permissible, one of the biggest issues that's noticeable is that a lot of the scholars in this realm seem to confuse the differences that exist between patents and copyrights. And they also use this all-encompassing term of IP for everything uh, when there's inherent differences between the two. So that's one aspect that is in the uh, Islamic law scholarly community is not distinguishing between copyright and patents. The second thing is I really focus in this paper on the teaching function and the promotion of knowledge of patents, which are, I argue, permitted within Islamic law. And that is what exists in patents due to the quid pro quo. Effectively, tell us how to make or use it, and in return, you get this limited exclusivity right. And that aspect of patents makes it inherently different. And that's something that hasn't really been talked about, that there are those benefits of patents that uh, through the teaching function and the promotion of knowledge. And those are positive features in Islamic law that help justify patents and also differentiate between uh, copyright law and patent law. Well, so, Tabrez, I mean, I wonder if you could reflect briefly on why it seems so important to provide a sort of jurisprudential justification for intellectual property protection in Islamic law? I mean, is this a moment in which that kind of theoretical question has become especially important, or is this just an academic enterprise? Like, sort of, why is this something people are concerned about now, given that it seems like countries are doing this kind of work? Like, why is the th- why is the theory creating problems all of a sudden? So this is a very timely discussion. I don't think this is just also a only a scholarly discussion, but also one that has practical importance. 
And what's happened is in recent years, Muslim countries have began to adopt these Western notions of intellectual property through ascensions to international conventions and bilateral agreements. And this is in part due to transformational economic development initiatives. And so countries such as Oman, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia are in the midst of transforming their economies and embarking on this technological-centric platform over the next few decades. So patent law is increasingly very important. But the problem is, is that these countries have borrowed from the Western lens. And if you look at their national patent laws, they're effectively the same. Uh, and they seem very similar to those in the West. They have not accounted for what may be inconsistencies with Islamic law, as well as potentially doctrinal differences among their underlying schools of jurisprudence in these countries, as well as the degree of primacy of Sharia. And this, I argue, it could be potentially problematic for certain aspects, such as for patent eligibility and morality and violations of Sharia that could prohibit certain inventions from entering into the patent system. But this is, from an overarching principle, important because I argue there needs to be certainty and predictability of patent laws for inventors, businesses, universities, and the economic development organizations in these Muslim-majority countries as they embark on these economic development programs. So I don't think this is just a scholarly exercise, although I think theoretically it's very interesting from the perspective of having a new viewpoint enter our patent scholarly uh, community, but also practically so that inventors and others in these countries know what is and should be eligible from a patent eligibility standpoint, but also other principles of how uh, the patent system should be run in these countries. Mm. Well, so to Brez, in closing, I mean, you're not only a patent law scholar, but also a patent law practitioner deeply embedded in the sort of Western patent law system. And I wonder if you could briefly reflect on what studying Islamic law and patent law kind of jurisprudential concepts in an Islamic law context has taught you in terms of kind of thinking about patent law more broadly. So I think this is really interesting because our patent law scholarly community has not looked at faith-based systems in general. Uh, I think we need to have a different discussion just to have fresh perspectives to our discussions and look at what may be inequities in our patent system as well as inefficiencies. And so I think what this does is provide some new considerations to help solve some of our problems in Western patent systems, as well as just have greater clarity and predictability to Muslim-majority countries. Additionally, I think these normative and theoretical debates about patent law from an Islamic perspective have other benefits. So besides just this new perspective and desire to improve potential inefficiencies in our Western patent systems, there, I think, is another benefit to truly help advance Muslim society and help Muslim societies embark on these transformational economic 
development initiatives where I argue there should be greater predictability and certainty of their patent systems. Um, additionally, I think this is a good way for programs that we have, such as the United States Patent and Trademark Office's IP attache program, to help improve patent policies, laws, and regulations abroad. And third, I think another benefit is just to have greater exchange and discussion with scholars and policymakers in other parts of the world. We have a very U.S.-centric perspective here, and I believe this will add a different legal framework and a different faith-based perspective to the patent law scholarly community in the U.S. Awesome. Well, Tabrez, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about this excellent new paper you're working on. I'm really looking forward to reading the final version. Every time I've heard you talk about it, it's been really very informative, insightful, and intriguing. Thank you for having me. It's, this is a very exciting area, and I'll have more papers in this, and I think this will be another part of my uh, research that I hope to advance further. Thank you.
رب جعلني مقيم الصلاة والمرضية ربنا وتقبل دعاء